All right, they go back prepared. They're doing that. Let me invite you, if you brought a Bible with you, to uh, open it up. Uh, we're going Old Testament today, First uh, Chronicles. So if you would open your Bibles to First Chronicles chapter 28. And uh, we've been w- walking through the Gospel of John for, um, for several months now, specifically the I Am statements. We're taking a small break from that this week and next week as we focus around um, <clears throat> the family. And um, that won't be, uh, so that'll start today and Jason will finish that next week. You know, there are, uh, there, I've got three kids, uh, Claire, Ellie, and Hudson. And, um, and there are things I want from my kids. There are things I want from them, for them, just like I'm sure a lot of you parents of the seniors, there's things you want for your kids. There are things you want more for your kids. And then there are things that you want the most for your kids. I want my kids to love the Dallas Cowboys. I want them to. About one of them does. Ashley has persuaded the rest of them to love the Saints. But... I also love how much uh, passion we have for Louisiana Tech in this room. Like, I went to Louisiana Tech, and I didn't see such passion even while I was there. I'm just saying, I'm not sure what the, what the deal is. Um, I want my kids to love the Cowboys. I want them to love fajitas, um, one of God's greatest gifts to humanity. Um, my heart would be troubled if they became a vegan. Um, any vegans in the room, you know, Lord be with you. Um, I want them to love the beach, and they do. I love, I love that they love the beach. These are things I want. Now, there's some things I want more for my kids. Like, I want them uh, to have a hard work ethic, and I want them to be uh, polite and courageous. These are things I want more. I want them to love people of all races and cultures. I want them to love our home. Not so much that they never move out, but enough that where they come back, you know, like the 18, 19 year old, you're going to get the boot. It's time to go, but come back please and bring food when you come. Um, I want them to make enough money so that I have a place to live when I'm old and can't take care of myself. These are things I want more for my kids, but then there are some things that I want most for my kids at the, at the end of the day, if I didn't get any of those others, these are the things that I want the most. And um, the things I want most for my kids and seniors, they're the things I want most for you. I really do. As I prepared this sermon all week, and uh, it's going in a completely different direction than I had really thought, I just kept thinking of you, you seniors, and what my heart is for my own kids and what my heart is for you. And to be truthful as a pastor or a father, uh, one of the fathers of this community of faith, it's my heart for us. And I get it, it's, I didn't come up with it. King David actually came up with it in, in 1 Chronicles 28. Hear what they are and then we'll read the verse. An undivided heart, things I want the most for you. An undivided heart, a clear calling and a robust faith. An undivided heart, a clear calling and a robust faith. The context here in 1 Chronicles 28 is King David, um, if you know King David, the, 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 the king of, um, of Israel, uh, the most beloved king, David and Goliath, we know him from all these stories. He's coming to the end of his life and he's gathered some of the most important people in his family and uh, 
in his community around him. And he is just as a father would, you know, nearing the end of his life, he is sharing the most important things to him. And he's specifically talking to his son, Solomon, where we jump in in verse 9, David's desire or charge to Solomon in verse 9, and you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. The things I want most. You see that in the verbs that are used in verse 9. I don't know if you have the practice of underlining in your Bible or on your app or whatever you're using, but you might underline these, and I pray this becomes one of the prayers of your own heart for your kids. This is the kind that we would like print out and, and maybe even insert our own kids' names here. That they would know the God of your Father. That they would know him. And that's not just cognitively know Right? That no is talking about an experiential knowing, that you, you know them just as husbands know your wives. Not that you've met them before, but you know them. You know what makes them tick. And wives to your husbands or parents to your kids, that you would know them, how unique and, uh, and, and how exceptional they are, that you would know, experientially know them. It's one thing to see a brochure um, about Disney World. It's something else to experience it for yourself. This is what it's talking about, to know on that kind of level, that you would know the God of your father. Secondly, that, that next verb that you, would, you might underline or highlight, that you would serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. And then the last part of that verse, that you would seek him. Know God, serve God, seek God. Now, we live in the South, in the religious culture, and even non-Christians might affirm such a statement. But I want to dig just a little bit deeper into this of what does it really mean for the things that you want the most for your kids, for the things that you want the most for your spouse, for the things that you want the most for your grandkids, for the things at the end of the day that you really want the most of even yourself. That you would have an undivided heart, a clear calling, and this robust faith. First, let's start with this undivided heart. That's, what, that's the phrase he uses there in verse 9. That you would know the God of your Father and you would serve him with your whole heart. What does it mean to have an undivided heart for God? What does that mean? Well... What does it mean to have a divided heart? A divided heart is where God has to compete with other things. God has to compete for your attention and your allegiance and your passion. Where God is, you're just trying to weigh out what's the most illustrious thing here in front of me right now. Where God has to compete in the culture of your heart where God has to compete or in the arena of your mind if God has to compete, well then, well then you have a divided heart and not an undivided heart. And David is praying for Solomon that he would have an undivided heart. And seniors, that's what I want for you. It's what I want for my kids. It's what I want for you. Church, this is what I want for us. 
that we would have an undivided heart for Jesus, where Jesus takes first place. Not that he's just the top and everything comes underneath him, but he's the center and everything orbits around him. So everything we do in life, as Paul would say, we do unto the glory of God. Everything, our work and our pleasure and our education and our relationships and the way that we parent and how we handle money and how we handle conflict and how we handle forgiveness, how we handle everything would orbit around King Jesus. And he would have the preeminent spot in our life. And he would not have to compete with all the other things that this world is trying to show us as glittery and awesome. And if you just had this, we would know that that there is no other living water than Jesus. And here's the issue we have in the religious South, is all of us say yes to Jesus. He is my bread of life, yet we're not satisfied with him. And so we're just, if we're really honest, most of us, maybe even in this room, we're just not that impressed with Jesus. And because of that, we say he's the living water, we say he's the bread of life, yet we go and nibble at all the other things the world has to offer. And we wonder why, where's the peace and the abundant life that Jesus promised us? And it's the result of having a divided heart. James would mention this even in his letter bearing his name in the New Testament, saying, you adulterous people, you divided heart people, you both tried to honor God and curse God with the same mouth. Now, as you think about your life, you probably know what it's like to have a whole heart for something. Maybe let's, since we're talking about kids, let's think about our own kids. You know, as parents of these seniors, Reynolds get us all emotional this morning. You, this is a major milestone in your life. And you think about this milestone. You were there when, you know, they couldn't feed themselves. And maybe your seniors still didn't feed themselves well. They leave stuff everywhere, you know. They just kind of how it, how it works. You remember, the, you remember their whole heart for something. For, for my Claire, my oldest, she had, a whole, she had a whole heart for Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. That was her thing. The hot dog dance at the end, it, I'm like breaking down sweat thinking about that thing. If I did one more dance to the hot dog dance at the end of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse when she was a little kid. For Hudson, it was Paw Patrol. Man, he loved Paw Patrol with his whole heart. Everywhere he went. But Ellie, Ellie my Ellie Joyce, She may be the one that is just, she was a princess. And I have a picture of Ellie in her princess gown. Um, Now, this is in the house, but she wore that everywhere. I mean, literally for three years of her life, some of her teachers are in this room from uh, from Mom's Day Out. Uh, She she wore it every day. And uh, the little plastic slippers sometimes too. And every day we would go to Target and they'd be like, oh, is this my birthday? No, it's a Tuesday. This is how she dresses all the time. And to make matters worse, because you're like, oh, that's cute. She is posing here with a toilet paper holder, um, and that was her plants. And her plants also went everywhere with us. And so in the Target buggy, uh, sorry, this is the toilet paper holder. We actually brought this in with us. Um, we're not trying to buy it again. This is her plants. Please. Um, this is, she, she loved that thing with her whole heart, man. And she would drag it room to room and scratch up the wooden floors. There's still scratches all over um, from the plants. 
You know what it's like to love something with your whole heart. And you know what? If I talk to you for about 10, 15 minutes, I can tell what, what you love with your whole heart. Because it's the thing that lights you up. It's the thing you can't wait to talk about. It's the thing you're so passionate about. It's the thing you'll talk about to strangers. That, that's what you love with your whole heart. You, you just can't not love it. You know, those of you who've been married for a decade or two decades, and you see newlyweds or young and in love, and they just can't keep their hands off each other, and you're like, oh my goodness, seriously, well, you know, what in the world? Ash and I went to a, a David Crowder concert, this was several years ago, and we sat next to people who uh, were young and in love, and they made out the whole show. I mean, <laughs> slurping, and it was, it was just so gross. And me and Ashley had been married about a decade, and we keep looking like, y'all are missing David Crowder, right? At the House of Blues. This is like, these are hard tickets to get. They did not care. Um, they loved each other with their whole heart, and you could tell. If I spend any time with you, and your spouse knows this about you, this is why we can't pose to our families. They know what a whole heart love looks like for each other and certainly for God. And if, and if we're really honest in the South, we have lip service to God, but he doesn't have our whole heart. We have a divided heart. And this is my prayer for you seniors, that you would have an undivided heart for God, that he wouldn't have to compete with your relationships, with your education, all those things are great. But that Jesus would be the center, everything orbiting around him, that you would have an undivided heart. That your heart would be captivated by God's heart, that you would seek him through his word. And as you face challenges and difficulties and questions and even wrestle with doubt at some places, that you would talk to Jesus about it, that you would have a real friendship with Jesus. That he wouldn't just be your theological consultant, but he would be your friend. He would be the one that you run to. He would be the one that you talk to. You would ask yourself the question a hundred times a day, what does God's word say about that? And that knowing God, this undivided heart, would lead to this clear calling. That you would have a clear calling. It says here in verse 9 that you would serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. A whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. That you would serve him with your heart and with your mind. I call this Sunday uh, Change the World Sunday for this reason. Because you know how we're going to reach our world for Christ? It's not going to be through planting more churches, although I love church plants. It's not going to be on even our local church or the other church churches in our area just doing a phenomenal job, and some of them really do. It's going to be releasing the missional potential of every one of us in this room. That's how we reach the world. That's how they did it in Acts 2. That's how every great move of God ever since then that has swept the land when real revival happens, it's not because there's an 80-20 bit. It's because everybody with their whole heart is unleashing the missional potential. That means the calling of God on your life. You know what? One day in the future, we're going to do this thing perfectly. 
Like the songs are going to be awesome. They were incredible this morning. Thank you, Phil, for leading us. The, the words are going to be all right. I, the sermon's going to be incredible. This is not the Sunday. I promise you, I promise you that on that. But one of these days, and you know what's going to happen at the end of that day when we as the staff, I mean, that we just accomplish everything. You're going to walk out and give me a fist bump and say, way to go, pastor. And then you're going to go out back to your homes and your everyday life. And nothing in the world's going to change. You know how the world will change? When you discover why you're here. Not just to glorify God, yes, but I'm talking specifically why you're here. This was the call on Solomon's life as we kind of get into this. It says in verse 10, the next verse that we've been looking at 9, verse 10 says, Be careful now. I love this warning of caution. For the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. He's talking about the temple. Be strong and do it. David wanted to build the temple, but God said, no, David, this is not your calling. You are the king of war. You're the, you're the warrior, poet. That's going to be for your son Solomon. Solomon had this call on his life that he was going to be the king of Israel and that he was going to build the house of God. That's what was happening. That was his specific call. And just as specific as that is, just before you make excuses, say, well, that was the, that was the king of Israel. Of course, that's, that's, how, that's how it is. Ephesians puts it this way in Ephesians 2.10, and you should write this down, and seniors, you should memorize this. This should maybe be one of your life verses. For we are his workmanship, the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus, and you would underline that word, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And these good works is not like the, uh, like the super generic, uh, we would like feed the homeless. No, no, this is talk about in your actual vocation, that God has prepared good things for you, fertile ground for you, a place where you would reflect the glory of God to everyone who is watching, but also a real calling in your work, in your vocational work. As a plumber, as an architect, as a teacher, as an engineer, God has prepared things beforehand and he is sending you into that arena with all your talents and all your abilities and all the things that you've done. He's sending you in there as a missionary for him. Not just to do good work, but every Christian should be the best. They should, you should do great work, but that you would reflect the glory of God in a dark place. This is the call on your life. And this is why David is reminding Solomon of this. I, I love that David's vision and prayer for his son's life was informed and centered around God's vision and purpose for his son's life. Parents, if we're not careful, sometimes we place our dreams on our kids' lives. And in doing so, we pour water on the fire that God has placed in their heart. There's some teenagers in this room that God is calling to be literal missionaries. Literal missionaries. And you're going to walk across the stage one day and maybe go get a phenomenal education. And you're going to build up all this knowledge and expertise. And then you're going to basically just close the binder on that. And you're going to move overseas somewhere to people who could care less about your pedigree. And you're going to serve really broken people for the rest of your life. 
And those of you that do that, Jesus Christ is in heaven standing applauding you, saying, yes, I put that in your heart for a reason. Now, if we're not careful, parents, what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll see that. They'll be like, I want to go be a missionary. And you're like, no, you don't, man. Don't you look at all you've been given. We will project our dreams onto them and not let them discover what God has created them to do. And we live in the religious South. And if we're not careful, here's, here's what serving God looks like in a lot of churches. Is you serving my dream. If we talk about serving the Lord and you're like, all right, where do I sign up to go serving kids or to hand out a bulletin or to, to clean up or set up? And I love all that and we've got to have all that. But God is doing something bigger in your own heart. So I'm not just the one inspiring you to say, hey, man, just get fired up for God and go hand out a bulletin. No, much more than that, that you would go up the mountain and you would meet with God and you'd say, God, what, are you, what have you called me to do? What are you purposing in my own life? And parents, that you would pray over your kids and you would bless them and release God's call into their own life. Saying, God, whatever you call them, they are, they are a gift to you. I'm just, I'm just stewarding them. I'm just raising them and changing their diapers right now. But one day, Lord, would you begin to birth in their heart what you have for them? In churches, we, church, we've got to do better at this. We've got to do better than just relegating the call of God on the life of all of us into I'm going to be a little nicer. I'm going to drink a little less and cuss a little less and give a little more. All those things are great. Do those. But what is God specifically calling you to? What, what dream has he put in your heart? Not for your own good, but for the glory of God and for the good of others. Charles Swindoll has this quote. I love this. You have, like no other person on this planet, planet particular contributions that you're to make to this generation. They may not be as great as your dreams or they might be far beyond your expectations, but whatever they are, you're to find them and carry them out. God has put a calling on each one of my kids' lives. And sometimes I can see a little bit of it. God has made Claire like so determined and this competitive spirit and she hates to lose anything. And God's going to use that determination in this incredible way in her life. And Ellie's my dreamer, and she just is like dreaming, worshiping her way through life, you know. That's, hence the princess. That's just who she is, and I love it. God's, God's putting a dream in her own heart, a God dream, not a dad dream, a, a God dream of what he wants to do and use her for. And I just want to pour gasoline on that fire. Yes, baby, whatever God calls you to do, I want to be your biggest cheerleader if that means you get to stay close and serve God in the local church next to me or through some other vocation, or if God takes you literally around the world. Seniors, know and love God with an undivided heart, and he's going to lead you and show you the dreams that he has for you. Here's the three questions you ask. God who? God where? God how? God who? This is just not for our seniors. This is for all of us. God who? Who have you put in my path? Who's next to me at work? Who are my neighbors? Who are the people around me? Who are the people of peace that have been brought into my life? God, who? We can't minister to everybody. And because we can't minister to everybody, most of us minister to no one. 
But there are specific people that God has sent you as an ambassador on behalf of the king into a foreign country, this world, so that you could bring the good news. Who? God who? God where? Lord, Lord, where do you want me to invest my time? Is it tutoring after school kids? Is it bringing cookies to everyone that moves in? I was talking to someone uh, recently from our congregation who's going to sign up to be a volunteer chaplain at one of the hospitals. I love this. They're going to volunteer as a chaplain and they can't share the gospel, but you know what? They can pray for people when they ask. And you sure enough can pray the blessing of God over them and share the gospel with them through that in an incredible way. That's just simple from the question. Like my life is just not about me and the American dream. It's so much more than that. God who, God where, and God how. How do I do it? Is it through simple prayers? Is it through Bible studies? One of our uh, lay elders here, Jeff Grubbs, he's not here because he's actually probably doing this right now. Uh, He got called in this morning and work. He works at a local hospital taking care of equipment. And every week you talk to this guy and he talks about all these different people that he's prayed with. Some of them led to the Lord in their lowest point in this hospital. He's supposed to be in there working on their hospital bed. And he's like, hey, what's going on? He just starts talking to them, listening for the direction of the Holy Spirit. And says, hey, you know, can I just pray with you about that right now? How incredible is that? Now, what if we all knew the missional potential that we had in our own lives and we released that and we obeyed what God was leading us to do? God who? God where? God how? If we're honest, for most of us, church becomes a spectator event. The staff works hard to get worship ready, prepare the song, the environment, the messages. But we leave never knowing why we're here. My dad used to tell me all the time, Luke, your view of God determines your response to God. And this leads to the robust faith. Your view of God determines your response to God. This is what David would say to Solomon. Serve him with a whole heart and seek him. If you seek him, he will be found. But if you forsake him, You'll be cast, he will cast you off forever. You know, when you seek and serve the Lord, he's going to ask you to do some difficult things. He's going to ask you to forgive some people that you don't think you should forgive. He's going to ask you to give to some causes that you don't want to give to because it means you can't buy the next thing. He's going to ask you to love some difficult people. He's going to ask you to change and even uproot your own life to go plant it in some other garden. He's going to do that. And a robust faith is a foundation that says, God, I know you love me. I know you care for me. I know you know all things, and I'm going to trust you. If your view of God is some distant power in the skies or some angry coach barking out all the orders, then you're going to be hesitant to trust when he leads you into difficult spaces. But if you know the heart of God by seeing Jesus, Jesus said, and we talked about this last week, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Just as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I love you. Now remain in my love, John 15, 9. This love God has for you is exponentially greater than you think. Parents, imagine your love for your kids compared to your love for chocolate chip cookies. Now, I love chocolate chip cookies. I mean, I, I love chocolate chip cookies. But to compare them with my love for my kids is like, it's not even on the same chart because I, I love my kids. 
Now to think about your love for your kids compared to God's love for your kids, it is so much greater than you could ever imagine. And friends, to know that God loves us that much, that he would send Jesus, his son, to die in our place, that he would be cast off so that we, out so that we could be brought in. That kind of love, sacrificial, unconditional, that's how much God loves us. So if God really loves us that much, exponentially greater than any kind of human love that we've ever experienced or ever even heard about, things that put the, the, the movie, The Notebook, to shame. I'm talking about real agape love. If God loves us that much and he knows all things, this is the, the theological word we use for omniscient. He, he knows everything, every possible outcome to every possible scenario and all times and all places. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He loves me perfectly. He knows all things. And he's all powerful. He's omnipotent. He's the one that opened his mouth and spoke the sun into existence and the earth into existence and that we're moving at the exact speed that we need and the moon's right where it is, not closer or further so that we can have real life. He he just opened his mouth and just spoke it into existence. He loves us perfectly. He knows all things and he is all powerful. You can trust that kind of God. This is what I say is the foundation of a robust faith. I use the word robust again because most of us have had church experience, religious experience, but many of us have never had a real relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus. A religious faith won't get you through the difficulty. You probably passed five, six, ten churches to get to this gymnasium. We live in a very religious society, but I think many don't know the real gospel, that God wants a relationship with you. I read a book when I was in high school called The Three Chairs, written by Bruce Wilkinson. Maybe you've heard of it before. I read it again this weekend. It's a good book, and it's worth the read. It was written in the early 90s. But he, in the, in, the, in, the, in the thing, he uses three chairs to represent three postures of the heart. Chair one represents a robust faith. That's the kind of what we're talking about right now. An undivided heart, a clear missional calling. That's chair one. They know God, they walk with God. Their ultimate desire is to please God. At the end of the day, Jesus in the center, everything else orbiting around that very center. This is chair one. Chair two is similar to chair one and that they do have a faith. They know God from the stories they hear, but they lack firsthand experience of really walking with him. And although I believe a lot of them have, have real faith, instead of living to please God as a chair one would, they live really to please others. And what other people think about them actually controls more of what they do than, than living to please God. This is chair two. For chair three over here, faith is, is a little bit more vague. 
They have no personal knowledge or real experience with God other than maybe saying, you know, my, 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 my dad or mom was a Christian. My grandpa used to be a pastor. They have no personal knowledge or experience with God. Instead of living to please God or living even to please others, they live to please themselves. Their mantra is, I'm going to do what I want. How dare anyone else tell me what to do? Now, we've been listening to David, who sits in chair one. He was a man after God's own heart, Acts 13 tells us. While he was far from perfect, he acknowledged and confessed his sins when he was confronted with them. He had a friendship with God, and at the end of the day, he lived to please God. David was in the first chair. And we see his heart for his own kids in chapter 28 that we've just been looking at, that they would know God and seek God and serve God. He wants Solomon, his son, to have a first chair faith, but Solomon doesn't. If you read the biblical narrative, Solomon ignores all the things that God asked them to do. Well, maybe half of them. God told the kings not to have a bunch of horses because he didn't want them to rely on their own strength to fight battles. He wanted them to rely on God. What did Solomon do? He builds stalls for 40,000 horses. He didn't want them to have a lot of money. You can go in 1 Kings and actually read this list of God warning the kings of Israel not to do these things. Not to have a lot of money. But Solomon was the richest that ever lived. Bringing in some equivalent to $10 billion a year in that time. Just incredible wealth told them not to marry anyone from other that serve pagan gods. And Solomon had hundreds of wives. So Solomon ignored God because he didn't live to please God. He lived to please others. And he wanted others to look at him as if he was better than his dad. But here's the generational problem with this. Although Solomon had real faith, and if you look, read the book of Ecclesiastes, kind of came around at the end and said, all these other things I've chased after have been in vain. We see what happens to his own son in chair three, Rehoboam. This was David's grandson. And he took it one step further. David had a heart for God, had faith. Solomon had, had faith, but no real heart for God. Well, Jeroboam had wanted nothing to do with God. No heart for God. Rejected the wise counsel, pursued his own agenda. David was primarily concerned about pleasing God and Solomon pleasing others. But Rehoboam really just wanted to please himself. And I bring this up at this point on Senior Sunday for a reason. That most Christians I know today... Myself included sometimes, we live in the second chair. That we love our faith and we want it to get to heaven one day, but Jesus is not the sender of everything. But here's the scary part is, is we are one generation away from Jeroboam who had no love for God, no desire to be with him, didn't care what the Bible said about anything. And as parents... I think we would all echo that we want our kids to have a first chair kind of faith. We want them to 
love and serve God with an undivided heart and a clear calling and a robust faith. And you know how we really pass on our faith from one generation to the next? One that it would be very real in our hearts and we would intentionally take time to pass it on. A lot of people think that we're going to disciple our kids. This is the word the Bible uses for discipleship. A lot of people think we disciple our kids by osmosis. That, oh, they, they, they know I love the word of God because they've seen me read it. Or they know I love the bride of Christ, the church, because they see me give and, and, and faithfully attend two out of four weekends or three out of four weekends. But that's not how discipleship works. We go all the way back to the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. It's much more than just about helping them understand the theological implications. It's about it being real in your heart, parents, that you're passionate about it. And having time where you intentionally pass it on. As we close, can I remind you that God loves you? And I don't want this three-chair thing to produce undue guilt. Maybe your kids are already out of the house. And like me, there's a long list of things you wish you would have done differently. But that does not mean that God can't redeem your story now. That you could choose today to have an undivided heart, to seek God for this clear missional calling in your own life. To have a robust faith. And seniors, my last little word to you is as you go to college, sit in the first chair. I love that you're praying that you find a a good church. You know what? If your search is for a perfect church, you'll never find one. They just don't exist. But just go somewhere that teaches the Bible and plug yourself in and start serving there. That's, That's how you get involved. Surround yourself with some people that love God and can help hold you accountable and encourage you. Direction, not intention, actually determines our destination. So if you could take a moment with God right now, I just ask it every uh, eye closed. And I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand or stand up. I'm not asking you to do none of that. Just between you and God, right where you're at, would you just talk to him like you do a friend? If you want these things for your own life, this undivided heart and clear calling and robust faith, maybe you would pray. Confess the places where, where, you, where you have failed to seek after him, to put him first. and Realign your heart with him even right now. That's what repentance is. And maybe even for your kids that you would you'd pray for them. God, we love you. Thank you for your grace. That your love for us is not based upon any performance. Not based upon what we can accomplish. But it's based on the work of your son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. 
And if there are any here today, Father, that don't know you as Lord and Savior and friend, I just pray that they would step across the line of faith this morning. Lord, would you do something in their life today? Lord, I thank you that you love your kid, love, love my kids more than I love my kids, and I love them a lot. That you have great plans for them. That your grace surrounds them. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them even now. I pray for our students and our kids that are in the room. Lord, our world is becoming increasingly more wicked day by day. And the thing that's going to turn the world upside down are these students. I pray for them. Lord, would you do the incredible, miraculous through them? I pray for our seniors as they're about to leave home and pursue this next milestone. Lord, that it would be the greatest one yet. Lord, they would continually have stories about how you're working supernaturally all around them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. I'm going to be in the back if someone would like to pray with someone. Phil and Hannah are going to lead us in a uh, song of worship, and then we'll close out in a minute.